0: How are we all doing this morning, good? <clears throat> Everyone out there enjoying the sun? I definitely have. As you can tell, it's a little, little bright, a little bright up here. Uh, yeah, we were out yesterday at the water park and hanging out with the kids, and, and it's funny, I got a little bit of sun. I have, like, awesome genetics when it comes to tanning. Like, I turn bright pink for a few days and then go right back to white again. Like, there's no nice middle brownness for me. It's just, yeah, genetics, I guess. It's funny because we were, Jordan was calibrating everything up there and does his little techie thing up there, whatever he does. And, uh, and he's like, I actually needed to change the contrast on the stage so your face wouldn't like just be so bright. <laughs> so it's actually not that bad. Like I said, it's just pink. This is the way it tans. So um, yeah, not so good for our brothers and sisters kind of north of us up in the 100 Mile area. Um, for those of you who don't know me, that's I'm a police officer, but it was a police officer up in 100 Mile before I came down here. So it's just tearing me apart to see, you know, we've actually have a few of our friends coming down to stay with us as they've been evacuated because of the forest fires up there. And, and so I'm just waiting for a call at any moment to go up there and kind of help with relief and evacuations and things like that. So it's just, uh, yeah, a really messy situation. So um, I just kind of, you know, it, it's hard to sit back and watch and knowing that I just want to be up there helping, right? But uh, it is what it is. And so at least I, I can do is just kind of pray for them this morning. So would you join me in doing that? Um, Lord, we just thank you so much for your sovereignty, God, that in all things um, you are you're in control of everything, God, the wind, the waves, the fire, everything, and we don't know why exactly it is that this is happening, and we don't pretend to know your mind and your plans, but God, we just ask, Father, that um, you would give grace to those involved, for those who have been displaced from their homes, for those who have um, lost everything that they have, uh, God, we just ask for your grace and your mercy that in the midst of all this, they would see you more clearly than they ever have before. That their hearts and their spirits would be bowed so low before you, God, and, and just worship and adoration of you that in the midst of all this, you would give them great peace and great joy in you. God, that they would understand despite loss, despite panic, despite fear, despite all these things, God, that um, they would see you for who you are most clearly than they ever have in their life, and that that would bring them joy and, and worship towards you. And so, God, we lift up our brothers and sisters and just uh, ask that you be with them. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining me in that. It's kind of been something that's been heavy with me the last few days. So um, so we're in uh, continuing on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 9. I'm going to read it first, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into it. Matthew 6, we're going to start at verse 5. So this is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, there's a lot in there. There's a lot more than that. We'll get into it. Uh, verse 5, Matthew 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, uh, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray... Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So this is a really familiar passage to all of us. Very, very familiar. I know I grew up on, on the East Coast, Cape Breton Island, and I went to a Catholic school there. Now, the Catholic schools there, for whatever reason, they're a lot more, like, Catholic-y than the schools out west for some reason. Like, they're very, like, as of, like, only probably 10 years before I got into the school system, they did away with, like, the, the nuns that were actually there and, like, the, 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 you know, when they used to strap your hand and things like that. Like, my parents used to tell me just horror stories of growing up in school. Sorry. It's growing up in school and, and going through all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I, I went to this Catholic school. Every single morning, we would recite the Lord's Prayer. Every single morning. Like, I had this thing memorized. Even to this day, it's like muscle memory. Like, whenever we sing the Lord's Prayer, I just kind of do this. And I'm not even, like, I'm not even paying attention to it, right? It's just, it's so familiar. So, so familiar. But what some of us do is that we chalk it up to just a simple, um, this is one of many prayers. Um, Or what we do is we say, well, this is just kind of a model that we follow. Um, It's so much more than that. It is, this text is so much more than that. So important. This is Jesus teaching us how to speak to, how to relate to God, which is absolutely huge. We're defining, what Jesus is doing here is he's putting some definition to the relationship now that we have with God. Because, see this is the hard part, is that prior to Jesus coming, God was largely inaccessible. Only to a very select few people, Israel. And even then, like, there was, there, the communication they had with God was through Old Testament priests. It was through sacrificial systems and ceremonies. Like, God was largely inaccessible. And then Jesus comes down, fully God, fully man. You can touch him, you can hang out with him, you can see him, you can eat with him. Like, real deal, God fully accessible to us for the first time, fully accessible since the garden. So this is something that we, we need to be taught. We need to be taught. So Jesus, what Jesus is doing here is he's defining the relationship. I Remember, before Danielle, my wife and I were dating. Um, we had been hanging out for a couple months, right? And I'm a type of guy like I don't do well in gray areas, right? Gray areas are not my friend. So I'm very black and white. So we're hanging out, and we're just hanging out as friends, right? And I, and I'm like, okay, like I like you, you're pretty, and uh, and so we just, I just needed to, we need to define this relationship here a little bit, right? Um, and so, because I didn't want to get into the friend zone, right? Because I'm like, I felt like if I don't say something now, like a month from now, I'm going to be painting your nails, like we're going to be talking, we're going to you know, be you know talking about girl things together, like I don't want to get into the friend zone, right? Like I, I don't want to, like, okay, you're pretty, we need to get this done. So I, we are driving. <laughs> were driving, we're and, driving, uh, and I remember like looked over at her and I just said, hey, it's like we've been hanging out a lot, like, like what? What do you think this is? Like what are we, right? And like she didn't even let me like cuz I had a whole thing like lined up that I was going to say, right? And she didn't even let me get there. She was like, "Hey, well friends is good." Yeah, friends. Friends is good, driving. And I was like, my whole balloon just like deflated at that moment, right? I mean, I I believe that she had the hots for me at that point. She just was trying to play hard to get. She'll tell you a different story, but this is this is the truth cuz I'm preaching it. So, um yeah. So I wanted to define that relationship. What are we? Let's call it what it is and let's move on so that we know how to communicate with one another. We know what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, you know, all of those things, right? Like it's, we put definition to what we are, right? And I think in this text, a large part of what's in this text is it's Jesus doing that, right? It's Jesus teaching us how to communicate with him, teaching us how to approach him, teaching us how to view him. We need to be taught those things because there is only one God. I don't, you know, if you've never communicated with God before, how are you supposed to know? If You've never spoken with him before. I know how to talk to you. Jay and I are buddies. I know how to talk to Jay. Largely insult-based humor and we just, you know, hug each each other every now and then and we make fun of each other. We're buddies. That's what we do. I know how to hang out with Jay. Right? But what about God? Like God's something different. God is holy. God is set apart. How do I... How do I relate to him? And this is what Jesus is doing. I needed to teach my son this. Um, see, Cam is, he's just turning eight, and we've gotten to an age where it's like a little bit of attitude all the time, right? Where it's just attitude all over the place where, you know, and I'm, as he's getting older, I'm expecting more and more of him. So, Cam, you need to clean up after yourself. And, and, you know, there was one day where Layla, our one-year-old, was in the living room, and she's at a point now where she just, She's a tornado. Like, she just, like, she'll get into everything and just start throwing stuff around, and living room is a mess, and Cam had been watching TV for about an hour, and I said, buddy, like, can you just go and, and clean up the living room? Like, your mom and I are really busy, you've got lots going on, can you go clean up the living room? And he was just like, oh. like, every bit of breath came out, like, just huge sigh, and I'm like, be patient, love is patient, love is patient. Son, I need you to clean up the room, because, you know, well, I didn't do it. I'm like, yeah, Cam, why don't we just make your one-year-old sister clean it all up? That sounds like a great idea. Buddy, just get it done. Like, I'm starting to lose my patience at this point. And then at that point, like, I just see something in him where he just snapped, right? Like, it was just too much. And he just bursts out. and Why do you always treat us like slaves? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, Academy Award. Like, most dramatic kid ever, right? And he runs off right? And as he's running off, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, you don't, like you're not just going to run off and then not do what I asked you to do. So I was like, hey, buddy, come here, come back here, come back here. Whatever. He continues running, right? And then like something just like like dad mode in my brain, right? Like you're not going to say that to me in my house. Like you just, something in you rises up as a dad, right? When your kids start back talking to you like that. And so I, I brought him back and, and uh, well, forced him back. But we had to have a little talk, right? And that talk consisted of don't ever speak to me like that again, right? In a loving way, you know, gentle with him because I knew he was having a hard time. But I said, buddy, like, it's not okay to talk to me like that way, like that. Like, you're not going to, in our house, like, you're, your mom and I, like, you're, you're not going to speak to us that way. That is completely inappropriate. You need to talk with us for respect. You can be upset, and you can say what you need to say, but you say it respectfully. Don't ever talk to me like that again. And we kind of had that discussion, and he understood, but he needs to be taught that. Because if he just comes into my house and walks all over me, he's going to do that throughout the community and, you know, with his Sunday school teachers, with his teachers, with, you know, people in the community. Like, that's what's going to happen, right? So my job to teach him that, to build that into him. And so um, we need to be taught. Like he's young, his brain's not developed, right? Like he's just, he needs to be taught how, those relationships and how to act appropriately within those relationships. This is the Lord's Prayer, This is largely what Jesus is doing, teaching us how to approach God. You see, because God is not a fill-in-the-blank. That is not a fill-in-the-blank relationship. You know, a lot of times we make God up to be who we want him to be. Well, I think God's okay with this, and I think God is like this, without ever really even looking at the word. We just kind of make this image up of God who we want him to be and and things that he likes and dislikes and what he's okay with and what he's actually said and what he didn't say. We come up with this whole false image of God. Why? To make ourselves feel better about our life decisions and what we've done and things that we're doing. If I think that God is like this, it'll make me feel better. And so we make this false image of God and, and, and exchange the truth of God for a lie. Ultimately, that's what we're doing when we do that. But the relationship doesn't work that way. He is not a fill-in-the-blank God. I was talking with a guy there a couple months ago, and uh, he had, uh, he had done, made some really bad decisions in his life. And so, they, I mean, I knew who he was, so I sat down and was chatting with him a little bit. And he had left his wife and a couple kids um, and had left them, left his family, and shacked and up with a new gal. And so I'm sitting down here, and I'm just like, man, what are you doing? Like, what is going on? And he says to me, he says, you know, like, I just was super unhappy in my marriage. Like, and that was making me miserable, like a miserable person. And I wasn't happy with, with my wife. I was being a real jerk to her. And I wasn't happy with my kids. And I was being a real jerk to them. And I wasn't, you know, like, and so I was just a real miserable person in my marriage. So like, I don't think God wants that. God doesn't want that. So I left. And now I'm with this new girl. Now I'm like super happy and like a way better dad than I was before. And, and I'm just more at peace with my life and everything else. And like I'm just so happy now. And I think that's what God wants. God wants us to be happy. He doesn't want us to be miserable. And I just said, You fool. You are such a fool. I said it way nicer than that in my head. That's what I was saying. Put the filter on and said it a bit differently. But. Ultimately, that's what he was a fool just totally made God out to be someone completely other than who he is Like just a false image of who God is and what he's okay with and what he's like just to make him feel better I have no idea who God was No idea who God was and what he's okay with And so that's what we do um, But God has defined the relationship He has set things out for us pastor Matt talked last week about our father and we're praying. God wants to be referred to as a father. He doesn't want to be referred to as a mother. doesn't want to be referred to as a brother. He's referred to those th- in, in those ways in different areas in the Bible. Of course, absolutely. And motherhood, um, you know, brotherhood, friendship, all of those things get their definition from God ultimately. But God wants to primarily, God the head of the Trinity, primarily wants to be referred to as a father. That's the way that he has revealed himself. That's the way that he wants us to connect with him when we approach him. He's laid it very clearly out in his word. We don't get to just make up whatever we want. He wants to be related to as a father. So that's the who. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your name. That's the how. That is the how. So for some of you, I want you to think about this as we're going through this text and going through the sermon. Think about this. Maybe the reason that you're having a hard time in prayer, maybe the reason that you're not connecting with God the way that you kind of want to or the way that you expect, um, maybe the reason why there's kind of a a lack of passion or a lack of clarity in 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 your relationship with Jesus is because you're coming to him on your terms and not his. You're coming to him with an image that you've built up of who you think he is and not who he really is. Maybe you don't know him as well as you thought you did. There could be other reasons why you don't feel connected with Jesus. There could be other reasons why, but maybe that's one of them. Uh, So just think about that as we go through here. And so when we're talking about hallowed, like, we don't use that language. Um, So we need to kind of define that a little bit. So when we're talking about hallowed, we're talking about ultimately greatness, respect, reverence, holiness, set apart. Um, How many of you uh, play hockey, know hockey, like hockey? All right. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, very familiar name. Everyone knows Wayne Gretzky. Everybody knows who Wayne Gretzky is. He's the great one. In hockey, he's hallowed as the great one, right? Um, There's no player in NHL history who has ever come close to being like Wayne Gretzky. If you say Sidney Crosby, we're going to enact some church discipline because he's not even close. (laughs) He's not. Don't give me that. Don't bring that up here. He's not even close, right? He doesn't even have an ounce of the class that Gretzky had. Maybe some of the skill, but not an ounce of the class. That makes an overall player, in my mind, in the NHL. But anyway, Wayne Gretzky is, like, his skill and his ability and his leadership on the ice is unmatched, is ultimately unmatched throughout NHL history. And for me, like, nobody trash talks Wayne Gretzky. Nobody trash talks Wayne Gretzky. He's hallowed. He's respected, revered as a great one. I, like, me personally, like, the 93 playoffs... I'm still a little bitter about that, right? Like when the L.A. Kings and Gretzky beat the Leafs. and then 90- I'm still a little angry about that. This is a sin thing that I have and I'm working through. Don't judge me. But, but like I can't even trash talk Wayne Gretzky. It's hallowed as the Great One. When we say hallowed, we're talking about respect, reverence for a being who is set apart and like any other. And that's ultimately when we talk about God, we talk about his holiness. That's what we're talking about. God is completely other. There is none like him, none even close. He is something completely separated. So holiness. And sometimes we get confused when it comes to God. We get confused because we hear these terms like, um, you know, Jesus is closer than a brother. And we uh, see images of Jesus as a lamb. And we see, uh, you know, we know that God is our source of of just intimacy and closeness and comfort and love and all these things. And so what happens is when we forget that God is holy, when we forget that there's this whole other side of him that's ferocious and and like we need to have this healthy fear and respect of who he is, when we just view these other images and don't look at God in his entirety, we kind of view him as just like just another guy who lives in our house. Hey, it's God, my buddy. You know, like there's no real sense of reverence or respect or fear. So when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he's saying when you approach God, The appropriate way to approach him is with reverence and respect and a healthy fear of who he is. That's what he's saying. And so while God is a loving, gentle father, so this is one of the first points here. When God is a loving, gentle father, he also demands respect and reverence. Psalm 96 verse 9 says this, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So again, holiness is this catch-all word to describe his greatness, his goodness, his majesty, his kingship, his perfection. Right? Like nothing else matches that. That is something completely separate. So God's holiness. So worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Now when I turned 16, 17, became a Christian for the first time, texts like this really kind of confused me. Because people were saying, well God is love. God just wants to be your daddy. He loves you. Right? And then This whole idea of trembling. Why does it say tremble? Like, why should I be trembling before God? And it made sense to me when I started thinking of it this way. I remember when I was in grade 6. I was in grade 6, and um, we had, uh, there was, whenever we would disrupt the class, or we were talking and and disrupted the teacher, uh, the the punishment would be, like, there would be this yellow note, the dreaded yellow note. And it would have a whole bunch of things on there, like this is, I disrupted the class by doing this, and this is what we were learning, and this is what I disrupted, and, and there were signatures there. So we had a, we had a stay after class, write. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so we had to handwrite all these things out, right? And um, Ken Newfeld's looking at his dad, yeah, like the one you brought home the other day, right? <laughs> but we had to write this whole thing out, stay after class, so it was like a detention, write it all out, and there were signatures. So I had to sign it teacher had to sign it, bring it home to my parents to sign it, and then it would get filed away, or do whatever um, he, the teacher would do with them. And so um, I know it's super hard to believe. You're not going to believe me on this, but trust me. Like, when I was younger, I was super loud. Like, I know, I know, hard to believe, but I was really, really loud, uh, a little obnoxious, really, really loud, and so I would be bringing these things home, like, every day, like, every single day, like, we got out of class at 3, and my mom just assumed that we got out of 3.45, because every day it was just something that I was in class for. And I wasn't, like, malicious. I was just chatting with my buddies, having a good time, but I was super louder than everyone else, so I'm always, I got pegged every single time. And so after a while, I was just like, oh, yeah, another note again, you know, and my parents were like, Nate, like, you need to stop being so loud. Like, just stop. Be quiet in class. Do your work. You know, and gave me the whole spiel. And my dad, one of the last times that uh, you know, I brought home the note, he said, you know, you're not going to bring another one of these home again. Like, I'm done, fed up. Like, I'm not signing another one of these. You're not going to. He didn't even threaten me. He just said, you're not going to do it, right? So I was grade six. You know, I was young. I was a little cocky. I'm like, yeah, sure, dad, whatever. Like, I brought home 600 of these. What are you going to do at 601, right? Like, yeah, really. And so just no, no respect, no fear, no reverence whatsoever of my dad. So, so I, uh, sure enough, a couple days later, uh, bring home another one. And we're all sitting around at the table, and, and my, uh, my mom, um, you know, she, did wanna, she said the line, right? Wait till your father comes home. Like, she knew that he was at his end. I didn't know that because I didn't have the respect that I needed for him at the time. She knew that he was at his end and something bad was going to happen. So she said, will you wait till your father gets home? Yeah, whatever, 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 mom, right? And so my dad, like, he worked in a coal mine. Uh, and when you work underground in a coal mine, like, you never really have a good day at work when you work in a coal mine. <laughs> So he would always come home just a little bit grumpy, um, but when you, like, he had a really bad day at work that day, apparently, when something happened, and, and he was extra grumpy that day, like, really, really grumpy that day. Came home, and you could just feel it as soon as he walked in the house, like, he was having a bad day. And so he, he came, and he sat down, and we're all sitting around the dinner table, and my mom just, you know, he sits down, and my mom brings him his dinner plate, and we're all about to sit down and start eating, and then my mom's sitting there, well, Nate, what do you have to say to your father, you know? And I'm thinking, like, oh yeah, whatever. Like, hurry up so I can eat, right? Like, here you go, old man. What do you do about it, right? Like, that was kind of the attitude, right? And he looked at it and he didn't say a word. And like my dad, like the old man had fists on him like a gorilla, right? Like they were just massive. And he slammed as hard as he could his hand down on the table, just boom, and the vibration broke the dinner plate in half that was over here on the table, just. Boom, crack. And I'm sitting there like, oh, no. Like, at that moment, (laughs) at that moment, he had my respect. He had my fear. And he had my reverence at that point, right? Dad was a very, very loving man. Like coached all of my hockey games. Him and I are very close to this day. But that day, I was absolutely terrified of him. Terrified of him. Um. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, when we talk about God hallowed be your name, a lot of us, you know, we focus on, you know, Jesus closer than a brother, which is great and absolutely true. It's got so good that God is so close and intimate with us. But a lot of times we forget that he is absolutely ferocious. His ability, his majesty, his kingship. We forget the respect aspect of a relationship with God the fear and the reverence. You know, when you just sit there in worship, how oh, oh, great is our God, I can't wait to go home. Like, you know what I mean? Like that in our heart, you know? Like we, this, there needs to be this fear and this respect of God when we approach Him in worship, when we approach Him in prayer, every aspect of our lives. And we forget that. That's the easiest thing to forget. We become cocky, we become arrogant, and we forget the power and the majesty that He has. He's a loving, gentle father, but he also demands respect and reverence. So think about this. Some of you, you lack enthusiasm or power in your prayer life. You, you don't, you're not connecting with God the way, like, it's just not, there's not a lot of life there. Maybe it's because you're approaching him on your own terms. You're not approaching him in a, with a sense of reverence and fear and respect before your prayer times, before those type of things. And I think this is the problem. It is for me anyway. I think this is the problem. A lot of times we lead lives that are fairly predictable and fairly safe, right? Like back in December, you probably knew what your summer was going to look like. Yeah, we're going to go to the cottage or we're going to go on vacation. We're going to hang out. We're going to do this. Going to get sunburned. You know, whatever. You you pretty much knew what your summer was going to look like, right? Like our lives are fairly, for most of us, not all of us, mostly predictable, fairly safe. Sometimes mundane and boring. That's just the reality of it. So what we do then is we know that God is sovereign and God is in control of everything. What we do is we say, okay, God, if you're sovereign, you're in control of everything, and my life is just basically predictable, safe, and a little boring, that must mean then that you're a little predictable, safe, and boring. And it's until he completely turns things on its head. It's until he flexes his muscle and does something so powerful in your life that we remember who he is and the power that he has. You think about that. A lot of you have those stories where God has completely done something in your life, where he's just flipped your life completely upside down, shaken you to your very core. And if we got up here and everyone shared their testimonies, you'd hear the same thing. I've never been so close to God in my entire life. That would be a common... Every story that I hear, my own story, that's what you hear. I've never been so close to God in all my life is when things were completely shaken upside down and I was shaken to the core of who I was. He was so close. He was so near. Why do you think that is? It's because for the first time in a long time, your heart was actually authentically bowed to him. At that moment, you understood in its entirety, in an experiential type of way, your frailty... And his majesty, his power, his ability, his might, for the first time in a long time, you felt that. So all of a sudden, it just humbles you to the point where you go, God, you are God, and I am not. That's what it means to approach God. Hallowed be your name in that way. That's what that means. So my prayer for us is that we would, have, we would be a church that's, characterized by soft hearts that will bow to God. Soft hearts that just understand him for who he is and his might. That would respect him and honor his name before he has to slam his hand on the table. That's my prayer for our church. Hebrews 12 verse 6 says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves... The Lord disciplines the one you, he loves you, disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. What this means is that God is a good dad. You're not going to walk into his house, disregard him completely, and do whatever the heck you want. That is not the way he works. That is not the way that he operates. He's a dad, and he loves us fiercely. That's why he sent Jesus. His love displayed for us. But we just can't expect that as a church, we're going to do whatever we want. and We're going to have whatever attitudes we want. and We're just going to continue on that. And he's not going to do anything about it. He's a loving father and he disciplines those he loves. My prayer is that we would have soft hearts that honor him as a father, that respect him before he has to slam his hand on the table. And see, the thing is, he doesn't do that all the time. He's so patient with us. So, so patient with us. But because he doesn't do that all the time, we take it for granted. What are you going to do at 601, old man? That's kind of the attitude that we have with God sometimes. What are you going to do? Like I've sinned this way a hundred times before and nothing has happened. What are you going to do? And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, that's sometimes the hard attitude that we have. My prayer is that we wouldn't have that attitude of Rebellion. Point number two, your level of obedience to God is direct reflection of your respect and reverence to him. There's, uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with um, uh, Freeman of the Land Movement, Sovereign Citizens. Have you guys ever heard of that? Um, As a police officer, I come into contact with this group of people all the time. They're basically a group of people who they've removed themselves, themselves, under the authority of the state and of the government, And they basically, they say, you know what? We're not under your rules, your laws, your legislation, your whatever. We're our own entity, and so we're gonna do whatever we want. And so what that looks like is like a common kind of thing of of how that works out is, uh, for example, like I'll be driving and I'll see someone, and you can see it right away, like they don't actually have proper license plates on their vehicles. They'll have license plates, but they're like written in crayon, like they're not actual license plates, right? And, uh, and they'll be driving by, and so you go and you pull them over because their license plate is ridiculous, and then you'll say, hey, like, can I see your, your license, please? And, um, and they'll say, like, they come out, they have their own terms for everything. Like, actually, I don't need a license. I am in my conveyance, and I'm going from point A to point B, and, and I'm simply in a conveyance. I'm not driving a vehicle on, on a roadway, right? It's just, like, ridiculous things, right? Like, a few less brain cells than the rest of the population, but that's just my opinion. They're driving. They're um, driving. And so anyway, you know, I'll say, well, actually, like, it's not a conveyance. It's an 82 Buick, and I'm suppi- surprised you can actually get from point A to point B. But nonetheless, like, you can't. I apologize to those of you who have an 82 Buick. Beautiful cars. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, they'll be driving, and they just have disregard completely for the laws that we have, right? And those are well, you can't. Lawfully stop me actually yes, I can and there's this discussion that's had at that point The scary thing is is like more down south when you get down to the states like they have um, like they're more militant down there And uh, and so like they think that if a police officer goes to arrest them That's just a stranger nobody who's actually assaulting them And so they fight back with like firepower and everything (laughs) else gets really really ugly sometimes But they just have complete disregard for laws and authority and everything else and sometimes that's the way that we live uh, when it comes to God, we just think we can do, like, this is, you know, we, it's a perceived sense of freedom that we have. Um, but understand that every time that you attempt, every single time that you attempt to bow to God, every time that you say, okay, God, I'm going to follow your rules and do what you want to do or whatever, there's going to be this little <laughs> rebel that rises up in you um, that will redefine freedom for you. Redefine freedom in the way that you think that freedom is something apart from God. That, God, you're over here and your rules and your authority and the way that you've structured my life to be and your will is over here. But freedom is something separate from that. So I'm going to do what I want, my time, my way. See, what happens is, because we were born worshiping, because we were born as needing to pour ourselves out to something, needing to invest in something, needing to lift something up greater than ourselves, what happens is we worship these other things and they eventually begin to kill us. For some of you, that's self-image. You have this self-image of, you know, you've looked at all these magazines, and you see, like, oh, look at this person. Like, I you know, I walk by, you know, the, the men's muscle fitness magazines, right? I go, I'm not that far off. <laughs> Delusional, right? No, but I look at this, these men's muscle magazines, and, you know, this is guy is, like, totally jacked, like, you know, like rich and famous and perfect life. And, you know, you think, well, I want to be like that guy, right? And so all of a sudden, you lift up this self-image up here on this pedestal in your life and all of a sudden you began to, you, you, you dress differently, you speak differently, you hang out with different people, you, you, you become obedient to, to the demands and the expectations that this image has, right? And what eventually, where does it leave you? Hating yourself. Absolutely hating yourself because you can't measure up. For some of you, it's work. Like the demands and expectations of work. You know what I mean? They're just, they come before everything else. Like, work you need to work hard. In my opinion, sometimes you need to go above the 40 hours a week. You know, like, you need to, that's thats a principle that we have that, you know, I, I believe God is pleased with. But at the end of the day, when you start putting the demands and expectations of work in front of him, in front of your family, in front of your, your friend, all these other things, and you begin to push all these other things aside, right? The, the demands and expectations that's what you worship that is what you worship at that point whatever image whatever thing you hold up here and then begin to strive to meet the demands and expectations that is what you worship that is what you fear that is what you respect answer me this question right now in your life if something didn't get done right or something fell through or something didn't go as planned where do you have the most fear and trembling of something not being followed through something not happening Where is the most fear and trembling? You follow that trail long enough, you'll probably find out what you're worshiping. What do you fear? What do you tremble? What causes senses of panic and anxiety? Think about that. Follow that trail back, and you'll probably be able to see what you're worshiping at that point in time. Now, I know, like, some of you, you have anxiety disorders. I have one. Much more complicated than that, right? Right? but just the general sense of anxiety and panic that I'm talking about, the general sense of worry and fear and trembling that I'm talking about, a lot of times that can show us what we're worshiping. It comes down to the fact that we've forgotten. It's as simple as that. We have forgotten what it means to fear and to respect God. My prayer for us this morning, my prayer for us this morning is that we wouldn't, we wouldn't forget that. Because when we forget, eventually, like, things don't go well. Remember when I was out hunting? I went hunting with a buddy of mine. Quick story to end it off here. Started hunting with a buddy of mine, and we were hunting for deer. So three days, haven't seen a deer. That's typically the way I hunt. Haven't seen a deer for three days. And, um, and so we just started shooting grouse. Right? if I can't get a big deer, might as well get a little bird. So we're... <laughs> You know, so i got to need to bring some meat home to my wife or she'll, you know, she'll be mad at me and won't let me go hunting again. But anyway, so we're shooting these grouse. And we didn't come prepared to shoot grouse. We had a 12-gauge shotgun, right? And, but we had, like, we had small buckshot, so it was, it was working, right? Um, but, like, the, the shotgun's typically, like, you know, about this size, right? And you, you put it into your shoulder and you lean up. Well, a buddy of mine, uh, he, what I say, we weren't prepared for a bird shooting. He had a defender. Defender is like a shotgun, but without the stock so it's about kind of looks like a handgun Like There's no stock back here, right? So you just gotta when you shoot it You got to hold it a certain way. You got to respect the gun a certain way. It's not like a full-size shotgun And so we go we pull over Oh look there's a bird so I take his defender and Right and I hold it a certain way and you're just kind of supposed to hold it down here It's not meant to be like a aiming, right? You got to kind of hold it down here and and boom and I miss right and this has me extremely frustrated because Shooting grouse with a shotgun is literally the equivalent of shooting fish in a barrel. And so I got really upset. started to get angry, right? So, you know, my buddy's laughing at me. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, you're getting it this time, bird, right? Boom, miss again for a second time. And he's like, he's he's almost crying. He's laughing that hard. And I am almost in tears. I'm that angry, right? Like, I just, you know. And so I I stop thinking. Like, the brain shuts off and go, I need to kill this bird, right? And so I aim up because I'm not aiming. That's the problem boom! And just like the thing punches me in the face, and there's blood, and the bird flies away. Like, it was like the perfect hunting trip. Perfect hunting trip. It was so good, right? But I forgot that this thing has a lot of power, and I need to respect it. I need to respect it. And if you walk away with anything here today, I want you to always, always remember that Jesus is closer than a brother. He loves you. He's invested and engaged in the most intimate parts of your life. And you can speak to him on a very real level from your heart, unfiltered. I totally believe that. He set it up for that way. But at the same time, do not forget that he demands respect. He demands reverence. And the proper way to approach him is in a healthy fear. When I say healthy fear, I don't mean you're scared of him all the time. When I say healthy fear, it's remembering his ability, remembering his power, remembering his majesty, remembering his strength, remembering, keeping in mind his holiness. Whenever you go to pray, whenever you go to read your Bible, whenever you go to meet with other believers, whenever you do anything in your life, whenever you go to work, whenever you're sitting there and about to start singing to Jesus, Remember, hallowed be your name. Reverence, respect. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your love for us. God, I thank you that you are closer than a brother. God, I thank you that you do love us. God, I thank you that um, you are so patient with us, even in our rebellion, even in our sin, that you are so patient with us. You love us so ferociously, God, and I thank you for that. God, I pray as a church family, we would not forget your power, your might, your majesty, your ability, your kingship. God, I pray that we would be a family of believers that are characterized by holding that high. God, that we would worship you in the holiness of your name. Father, we come here saying that we're broken, we're messed up. God, we don't see things the way we should. And if you don't engage with us, we're gonna continue missing the mark. And so God, I just ask you would meet with us, you would correct our thoughts, you would correct our image of you um, and just correct our hearts. God, we need it so badly. Uh, Again, thank you for who you are in Jesus' name, amen.